finally got to front of the church and they had a pillar there and I put my arms around that pillar and I said okay enough already <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to anybody that can hear me in the unseen world and then a bunch of students that um, go to the college there I walked up and I'm still there hanging <laughs> that post that was so ridiculous and then I got into the chapel and I said Okay, take it away from me. I don't want this anymore. <laughs> so decided I didn't need to levitate. Next on News for the Soul, it's time for Breaking Through with Grace Gideon. Grace is a passionate and dedicated international life coach with a bachelor's in law, a master's in East-West psychology, and an expert in addictions. Grace combines these skills in her practice to clinically and intuitively diagnose and break through subconscious issues that prevent you from achieving success and fulfillment. She has a unique capacity to tune in to repress psychological and emotional blocks and to teach effective techniques to transform your life in a deep and long-lasting way. And now to help you make your next breakthrough, here's Grace. Hi, everyone. I'm Grace Gideon and welcome back to Breaking Through with Grace on News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio. Well, we've been doing a lot of talk on relationships and what's a conscious relationship, what's an unconscious relationship and barriers to intimacy. And I just wanted to just change it up a little bit uh, for people who aren't that interested in relationships and talk more about your relationship with yourself rather than other people and one of the topics that I want to discuss is your rights now human rights human rights issues is a major major topic in global affairs and the violation of human rights in particular hits the press a lot it's indeed soul-destroying when we hear of political regimes that commit heinous crimes against the people of their countries because of race, religion, sexual orientation, social status, or purely out of their greed or, or abuse of power or, or their hunger for economic gain. Of course, measures must be taken and are taken on a global level to prevent such rights violations. Uh, and... Um, you know, I'm pr proud to be part of movements that ensure that human rights across the globe are protected. Well, in fact, one of the greatest aspects, I believe, of American culture is that they have a Bill of Rights, a Bill of Rights which holds certain freedoms for its citizen, at least in principle. Uh, protecting our rights and the rights of others is key to our humanity on every level. But are you aware that there's another Bill of Rights, one that protects each individual on a personal, emotional, intellectual, psycho-spiritual level? This is your personal well-being Bill of Rights. Can you even imagine what I'm talking about? Have you ever considered such a concept? Is it something you've come across in your personal growth work? Do you think it would be useful to have one? 
do you think it'll be useful to know what rights you have emotionally and mentally, not just legally, socially and politically? Well, when I first started down the personal growth path back in the early 90s, I think it was 1990, 1991, one of the handouts, you know, back in those days, they used to give you, you know, little photocopy handouts one of the handouts I was given by a therapist at the time was a document called Bill of Rights. And, and having been a lawyer, I went like, wow, this, this looks pretty impressive. I knew as a lawyer how empowering it was for a citizen to know their legal rights. I often had to deal with people who d- didn't know Um, what they're entitled to in society. So empowering people legally was very rewarding for me. But this document was different. It wasn't legal. It wasn't social. It wasn't political. It wasn't even moral. But it was very, very human. It was designed by somebody in the self-help movement, you know, author unknown. Maybe one of you knows who wrote this Bill of Rights and you can email me and tell me, but for me, it was just a document that had a whole lot of lines on it that I was to read and reread and reread and to hold dear to my heart for the last 27 years. It really addresses subtle forms of violation, subtle forms of abuse. It was designed to help us recognize emotional and intellectual abuse or neglect by pointing out and helping us to name, claim and stand up for our rights. And by the way, you'll notice I said neglect, not just abuse, because neglect can be a form of abuse. So these rights that I'm about to discuss with you today really go to the heart, to your heart. They go to the heart of how you get to be acknowledged as a human being in the world emotionally and mentally, Uh, not just on a socio-political macrocosmic scale, which is very, very, very important. And I support all the movements and I applaud all the movements that I'm part of and that all of us are part of to ensure human rights are not violated. So, as I said, I thought it'd be helpful today to go through some of these basic rights contained in your Bill of Rights. If you've got a pen and paper, write that down, my Bill of Rights. They're so, so simple, so obvious. Yet, whenever I ask clients, in my coaching groups to recite them while looking directly into another person's eyes. By the time they're at the second or third one, they're inevitably tearing up or getting stuck on one or two of them. They they choke, they pause, they look away. And why do they do that? They do that because that particular right has hit a nerve. Obviously, the ones they're getting stuck on are the ones they've experienced violation around or rights that they didn't even know on a visceral level that they were entitled to. So when when 
somebody's looking into their eyes and saying to them, yes, you do have that right. People are going, really? Really? Now, if I asked you to write an essay about this, you could probably write from your intellect that humans have these rights. But wait until you do the exercise that I put forward in the assignment and look into someone's eyes or look into the mirror at your own eyes and say these rights out aloud to yourself and see the effect it has on you. So if you've got a chance to get a cup of tea or a glass of water and sit down and listen carefully and not multitask, this will have a transformative effect as I talk about it directly on your psyche. Often I have clients in a session and I'll be telling them something to help reprogram and and transform their thinking. And while I'm talking to them, they'll say, but how do I do it? And I'll be sitting there thinking, well, we're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. And I'll say, you're doing it right now. And they don't understand that if you sit quietly and deeply listening, deeply listen to words that are intended to have a transformative effect on your psyche, that 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 in itself creates the change you seek. You don't have to go away and do something else. I may ask you to go away and do something else. Some of what I talk about may be a call to action, but some of what I talk about is the transformation if you listen to it deeply. So the deeper you're listening, the deeper or more effective your transformation of your consciousness. So as we get ready to go through these simple yet powerful rights, if at any point you have a question for me, please call in on plus one six four six five nine five. 4274, press 1 and you'll hear a message. You're now in the host queue. Hold on and you'll get put through to me by my producer, Nicole. If you don't want to call and you prefer to email a question, please email it to us on on the air at tellus.net. That's on the air at T-E-L-U-S dot net. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here comes your bill of rights. Number one. Listen to how simple this is. Number one. You have the right to ask for what you want. You have the right to ask for what you want. Break that down. You have the right to ask and you have the right to want. God, can you believe it? You have the right to ask. Not only that, You have the right to want. 
every time I hear that right, I feel my body breathing with relief. Just, just simply, just simply at the right to ask and the right to want. My history was one where I used to feel so selfish asking for what I wanted. And at times I didn't even know what I wanted because I might ask some authority figure or some more kind of dominating person than me for something or I might tell them something that I wanted and I'd get a response like, really? Really? You don't really want that, do you? Oh, come on. You don't want to eat that. Surely you're not going to wear that. You don't want to wear that. You, you, you don't want to be with him. Him? He's not good for you. You don't want to be with him. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to wear that. I don't want to like him. I don't want to think that. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't have the right to want what I want. And surely I don't have the right to ask for what I want if what I want's rubbish. Why would I ask? So, after a while, I stopped asking. But not only that, I stopped trusting my own judgment about what I thought I wanted. I became baffled disconnected from my my own desires. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone. Why bother asking, eh? Well, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it might be true that you may not always get what you want just because you ask for it. It's not fairyland. But that's not the point, is it? People have the right to say no to you. Of course they do. That's another right, the right to say no. But it's not about only asking when you know someone's going to say yes. The point is that it's important to know that you have the right to ask and the right to ask for what you want, independent of what the other person's response is. Do you ask for what you want? You might say, yeah, I always ask for what I want. In fact, I demand it. Well, if you happen to be one of those people who tantrums or stomps or is always screaming for what you want or demanding it but not getting it, I want you to go a little bit deeper. I want you to ask yourself, do you believe at a core level that you have the right to ask or are you just asking because you're so frustrated that you just keep asking for help or asking for needs to be met. But at some deeper level, you don't actually know that you have that right because someone in your past made you feel selfish for asking or someone in your past made you believe that you weren't going to get it. So you'll ask out of frustration, you'll ask out of need, But on a core level, you may not feel that you have the right to ask. Let me give you an example. Maybe asking for help from family members to tidy up when you're used to doing everything yourself 
and you've been raised to operate that way. In that situation, fundamentally, you don't actually believe that you're ever going to get the help because no one's ever given it to you before. So you are unlikely to have someone give you a yes because they sense your underlying belief that you won't achieve a positive outcome from your request because you never have in the past. I want you to think about that. The degree to which you believe you have the right to ask will affect the answer you get. If you don't believe you have the right, you may ask in a way that sabotages you. So work on knowing and embracing that right before you ask. This is particularly necessary for people who've been shamed or like me were called selfish and also for people who are martyrs or self-sacrificing in some way. We fear being judged, ignored and shut down if we ask for what we want. I'll give you some, some other examples. If you're asking for financial accountability from your business partner or your relationship partner, but you see being judged as miserly or as micromanaging them, or you ask for some sexual needs to be met, but you see being judged as being some kind of sex maniac or sex deviant, or you want to ask for quality time or attention, but you're concerned they're going to judge you as being needy. Or you, you're female and you love someone and you want to you know, share that love and, 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 and you want to express that love and, and you want to ask for the time and space to have that conversation, but you fear being shamed and ridiculed and rejected. So you always repress those feelings. So lots of times the voice is held back because your desires are somehow, the, there's a committee in your head that's telling you that you don't have a right to ask for that, that person's not available for that and what you're asking for and what you want are wrong anyway. So you kind of live in a low-grade melancholy because you don't have a voice around what you want and what you desire in life, okay? That does not give you license to go around and say anything willy-nilly. I just want you to be aware that you have a right to ask for what you want and then we can talk about being able to receive the response and handle the response, okay? When somebody responds to your right to ask for what you want. Okay, that was right number one in your Bill of Rights. Of course now, right number two is going to say, you have the right to say no to requests or demands you can't or prefer not to meet. You have the right to say no to requests or demands you can't or prefer not to meet, even if you can, you prefer not to. 
So essentially, this is the right to say no. Let's go back and put the two together. So you have the right to ask for what you want. And you also have the right to say no to what you don't want. And so does everybody else. Because remember, this isn't fairyland. Everyone asks, everyone says yes. No, that doesn't even work in the Smurfs. I've seen those movies. Those poor little guys, they don't always get what they want, I'm telling you. So you have the right to ask for what you want and you also have the right to say no to what you don't want. These are rights. How would it be if you couldn't ask for what you wanted and you couldn't say no to others? That'd be awful, right? You'd be a total doormat. Oh, I don't want to impose. No, 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 it's okay. No, no, don't worry about me. I don't want to impose. Followed by, oh, I'd be so rude to say no. I don't want to impose. Oh, it'd be rude to say no. Oh, my God. That totally sits at the root of all codependency. I call it overgiving and undertaking. So, if you're that person, you need to get over overgiving and don't be an undertaker. Undertakers spend most of their time at the cemetery. Listen to each request that's made of you. Listen to demands that are placed upon you. Weigh them up. Check your motives. When you respond, ask yourself, am I responding from a place of, I don't want to, but I should, or they're going to hate me. I don't want to, but I should, or they'll disapprove of me. Or are you responding from, I do want to, because it's pleasurable. Or I do want to, because even though it's not at all pleasurable and it's difficult, I know deep down that it serves the greater good, the greater good for me, the greater good for others. And because I want the greater good, I want to. I want to because it serves the greater good, even if it's not pleasurable or I want to because it's pleasurable. Not, I don't want to, but I should. I think Louise Hay says, don't should on yourself. Okay, that was right number two. Right number one, I have the right to ask for what I want. Right number two, I have the right to say no. Simple, huh? Here comes right number three. I have the right to be treated with respect. Oh, I love that word, respect. Treated with respect. How comforting. How soothing. How refreshing. Wouldn't that be lovely if my son treated me with respect? God bless him. He's so cute. 
And if I treated him with respect, I love it when we treat each other with respect. We have the most beautiful conversations. You would be surprised when I do my group coaching sessions how many people choke up over that one. Respect. I have the right to be treated with respect. Respect is something we all crave. But so many of us have gotten used to being talked down to, criticised, dismissed, argued with, shamed or ignored. We want respect, but we don't realise that we have a right to be treated with respect. Employers, parents, teachers, coaches, partners, strong, more dominating people have all conditioned us to think they have a right to treat us poorly until we earn their respect. And, and some people treat you poorly even if you spend your whole life trying to earn their respect and you deserved it like three decades ago. I mean, it's this arrogance, this, this you know, class system, this cultural uh, abuse has taught so many of us that disrespect is part of the norm and that many of us become fearful of conflict and fearful of rejection and fearful of financial insecurity that we tolerate being disrespected because of survival needs. And then other 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 people will just say, you have to earn my respect. I mean, you know, and it sounds, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll earn your respect. You have to earn my respect. Actually, no, on the contrary, being treated with respect is a human right, thank you very much. Perhaps you may need to earn respect for a particular endeavor or a skill or, or a work task, but you need to do nothing to earn respect for your essence. It's your right and the right of others to be treated with respect as humans just for being sentient beings and part of the circle of life. There's never justification for abusive behavior. And talking down to people, criticizing, dismissing, arguing, shaming, ignoring is abusive behavior. I know we may all engage in it to some degree or another at times, and that's where the power of apology is so necessary. A friend of mine, Beverly Engel, a fabulous author, wrote a book called The Power of Apology, and it's a big book. Just, and I used to think, wow, you know, Beverly, there's a lot to say about apology, isn't there? So when we're being disrespected or we're disrespecting others, apology comes in because that shows respect. And self-respect demands that we treat ourselves much in the same way that we would treat another individual with respect. If we respect others and treat them in a particular way, 
we turn that on ourselves and we treat ourselves in that same way. Self-respect also demands that we don't tolerate disrespectful behavior. So when your right is violated, you simply and immediately politely point out to the other person. Here goes the sentence. Are you ready for this sentence? Quote, sorry, I'm not available for that type of communication. Or sorry, I'm not available for that type of conduct. You might think that some people don't talk like that but I know someone who talks exactly like that and my God, it works. She's fabulous at it. Sorry, I'm not available for that type of conduct. Sorry, I'm not available for that type of communication. I have the right to be treated with respect. I'm not available for that communication or conduct. Okay, if anyone's got questions about those three rights so far, send in an email or call in and we can have a little chat. Maybe there's something you want that you feel too embarrassed to ask for. Maybe you've been told that you can't ask. Maybe... You don't know how to say no, or when you do say no, it gets overridden. So you just give in. Or maybe you've forgotten what being treated with respect looks like. So call in or send an email, and I'll discuss those things with you. Remember, the call in number is plus one six four six five nine five four two. Meanwhile, I will move on to my other rights. Okay. Number four. I have the right to express my thoughts and feelings. I have the right to express my thoughts and feelings. Hmm. Freedom of speech. The First Amendment in the US Constitution and part of their Bill of Rights. How often were we shamed or cut down for expressing our thoughts or feelings? Don't be stupid. That's silly. What an absurd idea. Don't cry. Don't you get angry with me. What are you sad for? It seems to be part of day-to-day communication to shut down people's thoughts and feelings as a way of winning an argument. Yet, there's a real block to healthy communication, self-esteem and building connections when people are not allowed to express their thoughts and feelings. It's impossible to create intimacy if you don't let a person share how they think and share how they feel. Um, One of the questions that I often get is, you know, when I start to share my thoughts and feelings with my partner, 
rather than listening to me, they'll interrupt me and they'll seek to tell me how I misunderstood, you know, that I misunderstood them or something. So what I often do with couples is I get them to say to each other, like one partner will say to the other, look in their eyes and say, I have the right to express my thoughts and feelings. Then the other person will look them back in the eyes and say, yes, you do. And I'm willing to hear them. And then what happens is one person starts to share something, often about the relationship. And as the person listening becomes defensive, they're encouraged to stay still and quiet and simply listen and paraphrase what they hear. The magic that then happens is in the paraphrasing, the person who expressed their thoughts and feelings gets to be seen and heard and gets to have those thoughts and feelings acknowledged because in paraphrasing, the response is, so what you're saying is blah, 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 blah. Is that right? And oh my God, the person who said what they said, it's going, oh my God, he's heard me or she's heard me. I matter, I count, my thoughts and feelings count. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's so pleasurable to have an opportunity to express your thoughts and feelings. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever been to a 12-step meeting, but you know what? The power of a 12-step meeting is that one of their guidelines is no crosstalk or feedback. So somebody just gets in front of a room and shares their thoughts and feelings and the whole room stays quiet. Then they sit down and no one's allowed to shame them, judge them, fix them. I mean, you know, maybe they go back to the room and people try and do that. But in the context of the meeting, it doesn't happen. So there's this incredible sense of emotional relief and safety because people know they can walk into that room anonymously and share their thoughts and feelings. And miracles happen when people get to be in that space. In fact, um, Marianne Williamson has a saying, in the presence of unconditional speaking and listening, miracles happen. So the right to express your thoughts and feelings can create a beautiful, calm energy and give you the opportunity to be understood and to feel understood and for communication to move to a much more authentic level. Everyone has a right to their thoughts and a right to their feelings. Everyone has a right to self-expression. Self-expression is the birthplace of creativity. Self-expression is the birthplace of creativity. This is what makes you unique. Your thoughts and feelings are rich and valuable. They have a right to be expressed. The only warning that I would give you is that you note the impact 
your words have on others. And as a self-aware human being, be thoughtful. You don't need to be shut down or censored. You just need to be respectful and authentically communicate your thoughts and feelings. So just be always aware that with these rights, the right to ask for what you want, the right to ask, uh, the right to say no, the right to be treated with respect, and the right to express your thoughts and feelings, with all of these, it's always important to use your rights in a human way and to be thoughtful. Not repressed and not disrespectful, but thoughtful and note the impact you have on other people. Often people don't express themselves because they don't want to offend other people. What I'm encouraging you to do is express yourself thoughtfully, express yourself respectfully, express yourself authentically, but always with kindness. But don't repress yourself. There's a saying, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Okay, right number five. This follows on from the right to express your thoughts and feelings and I really love this one. I have the right to be seen and heard. There used to be an expression, children should be seen and not heard. Lots of kids in my generation were raised that way. That was all about polite children. But what it did to some children was make them feel invisible and insignificant in adult company. Many of those kids grew up to continue to believe that they need to remain invisible and cause minimum fuss in social settings with adults. And they grew up to continue that as adults to cause minimal fuss in work settings or other settings. And so they negated their own contribution that they may have made in a social or, or group setting. Your right to be seen and your right to be heard are so important, especially for people who have a deep longing for recognition and just don't understand why they're always overlooked. I had one client who said to me, she always gets ignored by waiters in a cafe as if she just wasn't there. Like she'd be there, you know, sometimes 10 minutes before another person and they'd serve the other people and not her. It's a thing with her. It just happens to her regularly. Well, it's not hard to guess what kind of background she came from. She lived with busy parents who favoured her high-achieving brothers and tended to overlook her. For many years, she got overlooked not only in cafes but also in social group situations and in partner selection. She wasn't married until she was about 40, 41. So we did lots of shame reduction work around the right to be seen and heard. And I know this sounds like happy ending. Um, so, uh, but it's true. 
she married a beautiful man and went on to uh, have a career where she speaks. Go figure. So lots of good stuff is possible. So this right is so important for you to allow yourself to shine as your unique self and to claim your presence and make a contribution in your lifetime. This right says you matter. Also important in terms of self-image. Think of that movie, um, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I think it was called, you know, where he dressed in beige and he, there was uh, Ben Stiller as Walter Mitty and there was a gorgeous Sean Penn as the adventurous guy, you know, who the photographer who, you know, took photos of the white panther, I think it was. I'm sure... Walter Mitty, if he was in therapy, he would need to work on this right. I'm sure he disowned his right to be seen and heard. And then the movie's kind of all about this right, you know. He went off to Greenland, he went on eHarmony, and he stepped out of his comfort zone. And then that final scene where he's on the front page of the magazine spoiler alert for somebody who's a decade behind and hasn't seen that movie and he's on the front page of that magazine and it's a real vindication that he did matter and that he was seen and heard um it was just so beautiful such a beautiful journey for him he'd he'd grown beyond beige walter mitty but he was on the magazine acknowledged as yes You matter. Yes, you have been seen. Yes, you have been heard. And uh, you've got to look at the part of you that's got a Walter Mitty in them and allow that self, that unique statement, that unique brand to stand out, stop hiding and claim your right to be seen and heard. Okay, I have two more rights to give you. Right number six. I have the right to trust myself. Okay? I have the right to trust myself. Self-trust. So vital to self-esteem. But so many of us second-guess ourselves, don't we? We've got that, that monkey on our back, the committee's, of, of, of voices in our head and committees of people we seek approval from before we get to make a decision. And because we keep doubting ourselves, we build more self-doubt and we become riddled with self-doubt. And not only that, past mistakes have made us risk-averse and they've led us to believe that we can never be trusted you know, oh my God, you've got broken eyes or you've got a broken picker. You always pick the wrong job or the wrong man or the wrong woman to get in relationship with. You know, you've got terrible taste and terrible judgment. You know, don't make a decision until you've checked it out with me. Now, look, that might be true for some of us. Uh, some people need counsel and guidance at the beginning. But at some point, you... Well, not even at some point, even from the beginning, as you seek counsel, you still have to always remain connected to your inner voice. 
And you have to share that inner voice and trust that whatever it's saying, it's saying for a reason. I know for me, in my relationship with food, because I have a food addiction history, I I remember I used to binge around the clock and and I'd go to certain groups and get told oh no you've got broken eyes you can't be trusted at all you know you'll always pick the wrong food and yeah that was true on some level because I always put pick picked sugar of course I was going to pick sugar it was more fun than any than lettuce but that didn't mean that I was broken I, I had a food addiction so if I listened to myself I knew that I was going to pick that food because I had an addiction to sugar. So the addiction was going to pick the sugar. So I could trust myself to always pick the sugar because I was a sugar addict. Okay. But when I wanted to stop being a sugar addict, I needed guidance. But I didn't need to be told that I was, you know, stupid or broken I needed to be told that I had a condition which was sugar addiction and that my sugar addiction was always going to pick sugar and that I needed to go through a process to withdraw from my sugar addiction, get my biochemistry correct, get my thinking correct and choose something else, which is what I did. But I still had a right to trust myself. And you know... When I was picking the sugar, I used to sit there and comfort myself and I I used to say to myself, you know, Grace, you're choosing that, that chocolate muffin right now because it's the only way you know how to love yourself. It's the only thing that's giving you comfort right now. And I love you. And if that's all you know how to do, I love you. I just ask that you eat it slowly and don't be scared and eat it with love. And I swear to God, that permission and that love and that non-judgment after 20 years of binging, I stopped binging within a month and I haven't had a binge since 1999. That's 18 years free of a binge because... I listened to myself, I respected myself, I gave myself to the right to ask and have what I wanted, but I nurtured myself in the process. And I knew that I had to transform from sugar as my love to something else as my form of self-love. Yeah. So that was such an important process for me. And, you know, it's usually our self-doubt that ends up making poor decisions. But if we sit still and develop our connection with our intuition and listen to ourselves, we'd probably find that there was a wisdom that was leading us somewhere. And even if we make a mistake... We pick the wrong person, the wrong job, the wrong thing to eat, the wrong thing to wear. We're going to learn from it anyway. I mean, we don't always have to be right. In addition to our right to trust ourselves, 
We have a right to make mistakes. You can put that down as a separate right. We just need to trust that we can guide ourselves, seek support, seek wise counsel, or take action based on our own view, even if everyone else goes against us. We have a right to champion our own cause and learn from our mistakes. I used to say I'd rather live my own life, which has many mistakes as part of it, than live a life orchestrated by someone else that's an apparent success which lacks my soul and character. It's kind of like someone else doing your homework for you or even like living in a golden cage. Where's the adventure in that? Where's the growth in that? Where's the truth in that? Back yourself. Make your own mistakes. Listen to your intuition. Challenge self-doubt. Develop self-trust. You have a right to trust yourself. I know we've got a few people with questions, but I'm sorry, I have to carry on because I've got one more and then I have to give you the assignment, but I'll see how long it takes me to do this. Right number seven, you have the right to change your mind. There you go. So you have the right to trust yourself. Piggybacked on that is the right to make mistakes. And then you have the right to change your mind. Hmm. Guess what? You're not trapped. You're not perfect. You're human. If you go down a path and find out it's not the right path, you have the right to change your mind. It's your mind. No one else's. Your consciousness drives it. As your consciousness evolves, so do your preferences. Weigh up the pros and cons. Assess the situation carefully and diligently. Then if you change your mind about the situation, find a way to change a situation. If that means selling that house, leaving that relationship, resigning from that job, doesn't automatically make you a loser or a quitter. Don't let fear, shame, or disapproval stop you. You have a right to create your best life and this may involve repeated changes of your mind. Just remember, always know your impact on others and remember the spiritual truth that God does not build your happiness on someone else's misery. God does not build your happiness on someone else's misery. If your situation is a truth that needs changing and you make that change consciously and in good conscience, then that change will be for the greater good of all. I've just got a question coming in here by email that I just want to answer quickly. It's come to my account. Um, there's someone saying that he's fallen out of love with his wife, but the wife is begging for him not to leave because it would shatter her world and he's really torn. 
Okay. So this is this is one of those extremely difficult situations where you know, if you're listening, where you think you're going to make your wife miserable if you leave. It seems to me that, you know, you have to go through a careful analysis of why you're leaving. And um, if you want to send me more details, I can help you with that. But at the end of the day, if you've gone through a careful analysis of, you know, why you've fallen out of love and in all good conscience you're no longer happy in that marriage and you're willing to have honest communication with your partner, then the important thing is that you and your partner need to talk about what's missing and put 100% effort into stating what you want, what you need, how you feel, what your thoughts and feelings are. In fact, go through the whole bill of rights with each other. If at the end of the day you're not happy, then I can guarantee you that she's not happy. She's probably just wants the security. But if you want the love and she just wants security, then she's ripping herself off the love because you don't love her anymore. So after careful and diligent consideration, I want you to really, you know, do some work, see someone and um, go through all of this. But the important thing is that, you know, I don't really believe that if, if you guys have grown apart, that God would pull you apart and make her miserable. I think there'll be a temporary withdrawal because she'll lose security. But unless you find a way to love each other and work well together, then you can be extremely loving and kind and support her through the change. But I don't think anyone should stay trapped in their own misery for the sake of some false security. So those sorts of questions, as you can see, require investigation. Um, but as I said, I want you to know that God does not build your happiness on someone else's misery. And God also does not keep you miserable for the sake of someone else's happiness. With, with proper exploration, you can create ultimate happiness even if there's temporary pain. Okay, guys, look, thanks for that question. Um, anyone else who has questions to email me, keep emailing, send them in. But right now, I want to give you your homework assignment for this week. If you've got a pen, please write it down. It might be a bit too long to get it all down, so you can write down a couple of points if you're quick at writing. Otherwise, go on my website in 48 hours on the radio show page. You'll be able to download the podcast from today and the assignment and do the assignment. Okay, so here's the assignment. Please write down 
the seven rights that make up your personal bill of rights. It's eight if you include your right to make mistakes. But otherwise it's seven. Then make a beautiful poster listing them all and hang that poster on your wall or inside your wardrobe or somewhere that suits you. Look at it every day for 30 days. Why do I say 30 days? I don't know. It just seems to be conventional practice that people say takes 30 days to break a habit but essentially I don't care how many days you do it for just do it repeatedly until it gets through look in the mirror and say each right out aloud and after you say each one not at the end of all of them after you say each one say straight away looking in the mirror to yourself yes I do so I have the right to ask for what I want and then say, yes, I do. I have the right to be treated with respect. Yes, I do. I have the right. The yes, I do is very, very important. Very, 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 very important. Please don't skip it. Anyway, move on from right to right until you've done them all. Better still, if you have a friend you trust Grab your Bill of Rights, sit opposite them where there's no distraction, put the Bill of Rights in your hands and say each right looking them directly in the eyes. Don't break eye contact and don't stare. And then have them say back to you after each right, yes, you do. So you say, I have the right to be seen and heard. Your partner says, yes, you do. I have the right to change my mind. Yes, you do. Then swap, do the same for them. So simple, so powerful. Then make a note of which rights you have an emotional reaction to or get your partner to tell you. Then do some journaling to see the roots of why that particular right triggers you. Write out any memories, any painful ones or or sad ones, write out any limiting beliefs, name them, claim them, then let them go. Yeah, man, we all love to hear the good news, so we all should rush to hear the good news. But we tell us find the good news. NFTS, NFTS, news for the soul at the very best. NFTS, NFTS, news for the soul at the very best. NFTS. NFTS, news for the soul at the very best. Yeah, man, just log like on to www.newsforthesoul.com. Yeah, hear me? We are a life-changing talk radio. We give you good news to keep you on the go. And you can also share the good news you know. And that's the way we keep in the flow. We only focus on the positive things, yeah. We only focus on the positive things, yeah. We not go put none of the negative in there. We not go put none of the negative in there. NFTS, NFTS. News for the soul at the very best. NFTS, NFTS. News for the soul at the very best. Log on to www.newsforthesoul.com. Every time. Come here, good news. Share the good news. And we all feeling good for the good news. 